0: and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nation of the Australian continent and its adjacent lands. How could it be otherwise that people possessed a land for 60 millennia and this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years? With substantial constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient, Sovereignty can shine through a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood when we have a power over our destiny Our children will flourish They will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift in their country We call for the establishment of first nation voice enshrined in the Constitution in 1967 we were counted in 2017 we
1: seek to be heard.
2: Hello, my name is Jan Wisniewski and this is The Strife, a podcast to discuss issues in Australia with a long term in mind. The Referendum Council was appointed by Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Opposition Leader Bill Shorten in December 2015 to conduct a series of First Nations regional dialogues about constitutional recognition For Australia's Indigenous people. The dialogues involved 1,200 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander delegates from a population of about 600,000 people nationally. This culminated at a National Constitutional Convention at Uluru in late May 2017 with the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which called for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution, the most popular reform to come from the dialogues. This was
3: Malcolm Turnbull's response. And, of course, we want to see more Indigenous Australians elected to the House and the Senate. But to have a national representative assembly, which is what we're talking about here, which would be in the Constitution and to which only Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders could be elected, this would is contrary to the principles of equality, of citizenship in Australia. It's contrary to that. And it would inevitably be seen as a third chamber. Now I know that I know that uh, that is that is contested but it would inevitably be seen as a third chamber of parliament and moreover it would have in our judgment no prospect at all of being successful in a referendum.
2: Now, one year on from the PM's rejection of the Uluru statement, I spoke to Thomas Mare, a participant in that Uluru convention about why a constitutional voice for Indigenous people should not be dismissed as an impossible demand. This interview was conducted in mid-April, but due to a tragic coming together of coffee and laptop, it's been delayed. Therefore, it should be noted that momentum has gathered recently surrounding the possibility of an enshrined First Nations voice in the Constitution, and Thomas is leading the way with his activism. Legislation to enable a treaty between Victoria and its Aboriginal people which Thomas mentions in the interview, has now passed the lower house of Victorian Parliament. And in his final answer, Thomas encourages us to submit our support for the Uluru Statement from the Heart to a Joint Committee on Indigenous Constitutional Recognition. Submissions have in the meantime closed. However, the committee's co-chair, Senator Patrick Dodson, has stated publicly he is committed to establishing an Indigenous voice to Parliament. So there is some hope that First Nations voices will be heard after all. Okay, I can jump straight in if you like. Okay, let's do it. Okay, cool. Recently, a bipartisan joint select committee was set up with the goal to find consensus on Indigenous constitutional recognition. What sort of hopes do you hold for the outcomes of this process?
3: Well, I hope that this is a uh, parliamentary committee that actually makes recommendations that are good and progressive for... Indigenous people in Australia, um, but also recommendations that are actually adopted and implemented this time.
2: Last year the Referendum Council asked the government to establish a constitutionally enshrined First Nations voice. Why do you think this was the most popular reform to come from the 13 regional dialogues?
3: Well, the recommendation for a, a constitutionally enshrined voice to Parliament uh, was most popular because the people in the dialogues in uluru were were well informed about uh what the constitution is and uh how our Parliament operates, but also about the history of the struggle. So those other uh things that have been recommended um that have been proposed by our people um, that have been put to Parliament through um, such committees, etc. It is considered uh, those things that haven't worked um, or weren't adopted and it also considers why, uh, you know, the, the different arguments about how such things as uh, a racial non-discrimination clause would work and further it considered uh, those lessons of the past as in Um, representative bodies that we've had before that have been removed at the whim of Parliament. And I think intelligently said, um, well, we need the political power to affect decisions made about us before they are made about us. And further, um, we need to protect that uh, representative body so that it is not removed like past ones have been when you get a hostile government. And that is really the reason for a constitutionally enshrined voice to Parliament. Mm-hmm. So,
2: during this process, the the idea of a symbolic constitutional recognition was rejected, I guess, by mm-hmm. the participants in that process. Um, would you argue that then enshrining the the First Nations voice in the Constitution would pro- would protect that voice from being? Uh, Taken away by um, a a change in government for instance
3: Yeah, so it would protect it because while it's the harder task, especially in Australia um, where referendum requires uh, a majority of people in a majority of states to support um, changing the Constitution Mm -hmm. um, It is also far more difficult to remove You know, so the constitutional enshrinement is very much about protection. Mm -hmm. The symbolic proposals of the past where it has been suggested by politicians and others that um, we should have a recognition in a preamble of the Constitution that um, basically would be just some poetic words that would um, recognise us as the first inhabitants. That notion was rejected uh, in all of the dialogues and uh, and instead what is called for is Uh, substantive recognition and it is seen the voice to Parliament in the Constitution is seen as a substantive change that would empower us and and address an imbalance in our system, political system, and and then also enshrine it and protect it Mm -hmm. and a substantive change.
2: Okay. You have written the consensus resulting from the process that led to the Uluru Statement was unprecedented. Why do you see this consensus
3: as so important? Because you don't get many opportunities like this. I, um, when I first attended a trial dialogue in November mm-hmm. of 2016 and I heard about the process that had been decided on by the Referendum Council,
0: yeah.
3: uh, which was uh, at the time was to be twelve regional dialogues of three days each, with a formula of sixty percent traditional landholders, twenty percent Indigenous people from Indigenous organisations, and twenty percent Indigenous people from uh, that are active in that particular region,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and that you know that this was something in each region, and culminating in a place. Um, as, uh, as special as Uluru, that I asked in that trial dialogue, I asked the elders in the room, of which there were many yeah. that had been in the struggle for many, many years. I asked them, has there ever been an opportunity like this before? And the response from them was, no, Thomas, there hasn't been this sort of well resourced, well informed, you know, uh, with the amount of time, electing delegates in each of those things coming together in Hanover there's never been anything like this before and so you know that's something that you get once in a lifetime maybe once in two or three generations yeah and therefore that consensus that many didn't think that we would be able to come come up with because we are so purposely divided by corporations and by government over so many years and the effects of um, genocide and dispossession are so strong still, mm-hmm. um, you know, in our everyday living. They didn't expect us to come up with such a, a sensible, yet powerful consensus, and that's what we did. And so, unless Australians support this opportunity to take this step forward, then you know we may be waiting a generation or two, and that's and that's going to fail. Um, as the statistics show Mm -hmm. a hell of a lot of indigenous people that are being incarcerated, killed, and, um, you know, forced into hopelessness and suicide.
2: In your first answer, you mentioned that you'd like to see the joint select committee come up with something that the parliament, um, would actually give time to, or at least address. Um, and given the resources that were committed and the time committed to the, the process last year, why do you think um, our Prime Minister dismissed the claim for a constitutionally enshrined voice to Parliament so quickly?
3: I think he um, obviously had uh, bad advice. Um, he, there were three reasons why he, that he gave mm-hmm. as to why he dismissed um, the proposal. Uh, one of them was that the Australian people wouldn't support it, and that has been disproved uh, at least twice. Uh, I know of two polls that have shown uh, at least, I think it was 57% of Australians would support mm-hmm. um, a voice to Parliament, and that is without. I must um, make this very clear. That's without a campaign. Um, that is without any, you know, uh, you know, any reasonable amount of resources toward educating people on why it would be a good thing and why um, it's important. So that's already there, the Australian support. So he was wrong on that one. Um, He also said it was a third chamber to Parliament, um, Mm. which is also incorrect. Um, It has been made very clear from uh, the moment the Uluru Statement um, was released after on on 26 May uh, 2017 that it is... Uh, about um, an advisory body, you know, that would have uh, certain powers about, um, you know, the, the race power, for example, yeah. but it would not have any right to veto and therefore, you know, it's, it's nothing like a third chamber to parliament. I mean, the people considered that and while we would love to have the right to veto legislation, of course, um, we know that that is politically impossible mm-hmm. um, and we have made it clear repeatedly to to um, members of Parliament, including the Prime Minister, that it's not a third chamber of Parliament. And so um, the Prime Minister, I think, has very bad advice or, or simply hasn't listened to us. Yeah. And I think that goes to the point again on why it's so important to have a First Nations voice that's enshrined in our constitution because uh, this Prime Minister, like others before him, um, don't listen.
2: So we are coming up to the 12 month anniversary of the Uluru Statement um, being released. Do you see a path um, that you can get um, that statement heard um, perhaps through other politicians or through other leaders?
3: I think um, the only way we're gonna achieve what we seek to achieve in the Uluru Statement is to have um, the political leadership required and if Turnbull is not that man, then he should step aside and Australians should replace him. Um, and it is yet to be seen if there is a leader out there that um, can achieve this. And um, Labor has been very strong. And uh, I have some confidence in Bill Shorten, though, um, as with Bob Hawke, where mm-hmm. he uh, committed to a treaty and made that popular, because the. People in the dialogue, unless we have a movement of the Australian people that unequivocally and, uh, you know, and with great pressure ensures that, um, you know, those, any commitments made are followed through this time.
2: And how would you see this First Nations voice um, taking us towards a treaty? And what is the significance of a treaty for Indigenous Australians?
3: So treaties are already being negotiated right now. Victoria has been in negotiations um, or have been in the process for the past two years. Um, South Australia, under the Labor government, um, began, uh, will already have uh, had one. The problem is, though, if you think of it this way, that um, the South Australian government has recently changed from Labor to Liberal. And uh, Liberal, uh, the LNP there, do not support continuing treaty negotiations. Now, that is why the voice is so important. The people in the dialogues and at Uluru supported treaty making, and that is part of the Uluru statement. Um, But there needs to be consistency of a national voice that ensures that, one, treaties are negotiated in good faith and they continue through changes of political ideology in states and territories. Mm-hmm. But also, secondly, um, the Commonwealth has obligations. They have powers that the states and certainly the territories don't have. Um, and so we need to organise this uh, national um, First Nations body to to continue that. And And lastly, also treaties, the international experience is that treaties are broken. They are not always adhered to, again, based on the political ideology of the day, and therefore a um, an authorised representative body from First Nations uh, is very important to treaty. So they work together, treaty and, and the Voice. It's not one or the other, or one before the other. You know, but uh, it's very important that the Voice is achieved to support treaty making.
2: So just finally, Thomas, you're heavily involved with unions in the Northern Territory. And you've written in the past on how your views of unions have helped you see the significance of a First Nations voice to Parliament. Would you just be able to elaborate on that a little bit?
3: Yeah, so it goes back to what I just talked about before on um, authorised representatives. Um, that's one part of it. At the, the current situation for Indigenous people in Australia on, on national issues is the Prime Minister um, chooses... A Indigenous advisory council, Um, so purely at his discretion it is um, who represents Indigenous people there. Um, Well, the recommendation is far from an ideal situation when you want um, unapologetic and and genuine representation of grassroots people and also um, the media will will basically decide uh, who they put on the you know, uh, on TV to speak for an indigenous issue, mm-hmm. you know, at any time. Um, so, in the absence of authorised, you know, legitimate uh, representatives of the of a First Nation um, that are able to come together, we're short in that space. You know, and and also it's the simple principle of collectivism. You know, when there is a, a national voice of authorised representatives, uh, much like the. Um, the ACTU, um, you know, there's no there's no doubt that Sally McManus speaks on behalf of workers in the labour movement of Australia. Mm-hmm. We are absent of that in our movement, and I think we're weaker for it um, on taking up um, a position that is uh, in the best interest of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the communities.
2: Okay, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts today with me, Thomas. Was there anything that you wanted to add to finish things off?
3: Just that um, the Joint Select Committee, there is an opportunity now for people to make submissions. So um, I encourage the Australian people, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, yep. if they support uh, what came out of Uluru, which is a unprecedented um, uh, outcome, that even constitutional experts describe as a constitutional moment that was more proportionate of uh, than the the dialogues towards the 1901 Constitution um, that you know that we all live under now. Mm. Uh, there were no Indigenous people in those discussions in the late 19th century, and uh, there were no women involved in those discussions. So it's a very very significant outcome at Uluru. So if people support it, um, I encourage them to make a submission to the Joint Select Committee. Um, let them know that you're in favour of what happened uh, at Uluru and what the Uluru Statement calls for. And also let them know that you're prepared to struggle and uh, and fight for a, a yes vote in a referendum. You know, and it's all about Makarrata at the end of the day, which is referred to in the Uluru Statement. Mm-hmm. Makarrata being the coming together after a struggle. We can't do that until we are able to sit at the table.
2: Thanks very much for that, Thomas. Thanks, John. Thank you again to Thomas Mayer, elected branch secretary for the Northern Territory Maritime Union of Australia and the president of the NT Trades and Labour Council, and of course advocate for a constitutionally enshrined First Nations voice to Parliament. This issue is on the political agenda currently, so please do lend your voice in support if you are convinced by what Thomas had to say. To play us out, a young performer from northeast Arnhem Land, Gura. With his song Ratya Yari Yali, a title that translates in English, Divine of Love. Thanks very much for listening.
1: Ya corona la rey por todo